Genesis 39 is where we will be uh, getting our text from today. Uh, it's Genesis 39, starting with verse uh, 1 and then uh, on through verse 9. And this is on Joseph, uh, and I'll get into a little bit of his life, but um, Joseph says that now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. And now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word as we look to Joseph as uh, someone that we uh, need to follow. You know, Joseph in the Old Testament is probably, and, and you, may, you may disagree, but he's probably, when you look at his life, it is a really a shadow of Jesus. Uh, in fact, Joseph's uh, name in Hebrew is very much alike to Jesus because Joseph did what? He saved his people. God put him in a position to save uh, his people. So I want to look at Joseph and a lot of, a lot of uh, what I'm talking about, uh, I, I've used a book written by Chuck Swindoll called, a, uh, called Joseph, a man of integrity and faithfulness. Chuck Swindoll, uh, a number of years ago, wrote a, uh, a series of books uh, on certain characters in the Bible, one of them being Joseph and Esther and uh, Job, uh, David, and of course, uh, the life of Jesus, the greatest life of all. But just to give a little snapshot, if you will, uh, of... Um, of Joseph. Joseph had uh, 11 brothers, and all uh, there were 11, and all 10 of them, and 10 of them sold him for the price of a slave. So if you think that you had a sibling robbery, I don't think you really did, according to Joseph. 
They sold him for the price of a slave. Then he was brought to another country. And in that country, as we just read, he became successful. And he became what we would say is the right-hand man to the captain of the bodyguard. The captain's wife, though, lied and said that he tried to sexually assault her. And he went to prison for two years, though he was not guilty. Now, Joseph had what we would say is he had a gift. He could interpret dreams and visions. And because of that, uh, he, is, he is promoted to the second in command of the most dominant country at the time in all the world, which was Egypt. And because of his status, because of where he was, he is able to keep most of the Eastern world healthy through a seven-year famine. And even though his own siblings tried to uh, actually said that they would kill him, he in, uh, ultimately forgives them and moves his family and their families to his home, including his elder, uh, older father, so that they would have everything they need. That, in a nutshell, is the life of Joseph. Someone who was uh, told that he was dead, told, you know, they went off and they, his brothers, you know, uh, took some of some clothing and basically threw blood on it and said, look, Dad, he's gone. All of this, and yet there's one phrase in the life of Joseph that I hope that when it's said and done in our lives, it's, people can say the same of us, and that is the Lord was with him or the Lord was with her. So I want to take a look this morning at three different points from Joseph's life. Each of these three shows us how we can live lives of integrity. Now, I did not say that we would live perfect lives, but friends, there are people in your world, there are people in my world who need us to be faithful. They need us to have integrity. We're not, they don't expect perfect uh, being perfect they don't that may shock you but they do expect us to say what we mean mean what we say and then do what we say we will do so what made Joseph so great and how can we if you will follow in his footsteps he lived a life of integrity and faithfulness even when he didn't have to the first thing I want to point out to you about Joseph's life is that he had a godly influence. Genesis 39, 2 and 3, what I read earlier says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man. Now, I want to say to you this morning that the world has a different, a different definition of being successful. We know that. It's, it's, every, you know, it's, the, it's the cars, the houses, the money, the possessions... You know what real success is? When the Lord is with you. That's what real success is. When we look at the life of Joseph, what does it say? Why was he, why was he a successful man? Because the Lord was with him. That's who truly defines success is the Lord, not us. And because of that, his master saw that the Lord was with him. Let me tell you what that means. It means even when you, when you are living a life of integrity, even people who are not of God see it. We're talking about Egyptians here. We're not talking about other Christians, other Jews, other believers. We're talking about Egyptians who worship many gods, and yet they can even see that the Lord 
was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. And again, if we went through this story with Joseph. I, I did it very quickly. But who's, who was Joseph's master? It was Potiphar. Potiphar was an Egyptian. Meaning, as I said earlier, there's a, I'm going to give it a 99.999 chance that he didn't worship God. But he could even see the blessing of God. Friends, when we live a life obedient to the Lord... Even those who are ungodly, at least most of the time, say, now that's a different person. They may not even be able to say what it is, but they know something is different. When you go to the job and everybody cusses but you. When you go to the job and everybody steals but you. Or everyone gossips but you. Now you may not make a lot of friends, but that's not the point. The point is, we are living a life where God is pleased. And so it tells us that, you know, even his master saw that the Lord was with him. In other words, even those around us that we work with, maybe even live with, associate with, they say, you know, he's not like everyone else. The Lord's hand is on him. Joseph had so much of a godly influence that someone who didn't even believe in the Lord could actually see God working through him. And I love what Chuck Swindoll writes about Joseph's life here. He, he says, and I'm quoting Swindoll, Joseph didn't have to tell Potiphar the Lord was with him. Potiphar could see it for himself. How the world needs men and women with a godly influence. The world is screaming for men and women to stand up, not just for what is right, but for God. And what his standards are. We should all pray that God would make men and women in our core, boys and girls in our core, in our churches, in public office even, who stand for the word of God. We should not, we don't have to ask, when we look at the world today, we don't, we shouldn't ask what's going on. We should know why things are the way they are. We know the answer. We're not the answer, but we know the answer. Let me read to you a quote uh, from Stephen Arterburn. He says, People who stand for nothing will believe in nothing, fight for nothing, fall for anything, and eventually fall for something that amounts to nothing. Let me say that again. People who stand for nothing will believe in nothing, fight for nothing, fall for anything, and eventually fall for something that amounts to to nothing. Now, I will say there are many people today who stand for something, but the Bible would tell us it's nothing. They have built their houses on the sand. And so we see this today. But we can thank God that we can turn to His Word and find someone like Joseph. Now, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to compare, but I guess I am about to compare. You know, when we read the life of David, we see some really bad uh-ohs. I mean, it's not an uh-oh, it's sin. I mean, willful sin. But yet God used him. He was God, you know, he, we even say Jesus comes from the Davidic line. But when you see the life of Joseph, I don't see, uh, and I could be wrong, but I don't see too many uh-ohs. I see a man that really was used by God not to be a king, but to save his people so that there one day would be a king. 
uh, you know, we, we need people, we need Josephs in this world, men and women who can stand up for what is right. And you know, I'm going to say this to you. If you are a Christian, you're going to need alligator skin in this world. You are. You got to be tough and tender at the same time. And that's hard. Uh, you know, I used to pray, God, give me tough skin. And then I was like, okay, Lord, you can slow it down a little. Because you're going to have people in your life that's going to hurt you. And you're going to have to make the decision, am I going to be bitter or am I going to learn from this? So, God has given us in His Word this man named Joseph. And whether you're a father or a mother, the best thing you can do is have godly influence on your children. Because whatever happens in the home, that's what's going to happen in public. That's what's going to happen in society. There's a poem that uh, talks about having godly influence on a young man. Uh, And this is what it says. It says, a careful man I want to be. A little fellow follows me. I do not care to go astray for fear he'll go the self-same way. I cannot once escape his eyes what he sees me do. He tries. Like me, he says he's going to be that little chap that follows me. He thinks that I am big and fine. He believes in every word of mine. The bad in me, he must not see that little chap that follows me. I must remember as I go through summer sun and winter snow, I'm building for the years to be that little chap that follows me. You know, the truth is, whether it's about a kid or anyone, we have influence on people. And some of us, it's just because of uh, it's the family we're in or, or, where, we're, or where we work. We, we have certain people. All of us have lived different lives. But all of us have influence. And that influence can be ungodly and it can be godly. And, and, you know, it's very true. We live, and our children live outside of the home what they see in the home. A godly influence is very important. We're not talking about perfection, but we are talking about godly influence. So Joseph had that. He had a godly influence. Also, take note, Joseph had business honesty. What we would say is integrity. We find this written in Genesis 39, 5 and 6. It says, It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was someone that you could, you could leave everything to and know that it would not only be okay, it would probably end up in better shape. Let me give you a life lesson if you don't know this already. Okay? When someone entrusts you with something, leave it a little better than you found, find it. If someone says, here, take my car and use it for the day, when you're done, fill it up with gas if you're rich. Um, you know, if someone says, here, use, you know, you, whatever it may be, 
let them know that you're, you're not just going to take care of it. You're, you're going to go over and beyond. Not because you're trying to be, uh, you know, sought as as a friend or made to you know, look good, but it's because everything we do, we do to represent Christ. It's not just what goes on in here. Very much so, it's what goes on outside of here. When we live our lives, and so at that verse, go back to verse 6, it says, so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. Have you ever done that? Is there anyone, don't talk out loud, but is there anyone in your life that you could say, I could leave everything in their charge, and it'd be okay. I, 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 would, I could sleep good at night. The question is, can anyone say that about us? Can anyone say that about me? Basically, Joseph was in charge of Potiphar's whole house, everything he owned. Joseph was honest in his dealings with Potiphar. For us, that means that whether we're dealing with godly people or ungodly, we need to be people of integrity because we represent Christ. Joseph, in his life, represented the Lord. So he was honest. Now, Potiphar's wife was not, and we'll get to that here in a second. But Joseph had business honesty, or what we would say is he had integrity. If you gave him 20 pencils, he's going to turn, turn back in 20 pencils, all of them sharpened and ready to go. We've heard a lot in years past about people not having integrity in the workplace. You all remember Enron. You've heard of Bernie Madoff. He made off with a lot of people's money. And not only did he make off with their money, he destroyed them. So we understand, uh, you know, when we think about why are, why are we in this wonderful chapel? Because there's, a, there's somebody's name on a sign that entrusted the army with a lot of money because they believed that we could be trusted. And I, I've, I've had people hand me, literally hand me a million dollar check. I mean, my hand's just shaking. I couldn't wait to get it out of my hands. I was like, this is, this is too rich for my blood. But you know why they did that? Because when they saw the army, they saw integrity. And then they also saw Christ. And so our job, while God gives us breath, is to represent him in such a way that when people see us, the Josephs of the world, they can say that person can be trusted. So the most important thing you and I can do at work or around business or in our public life is to be honest. Now, you're not going to win everybody's, not everybody's going to be your friend when you're honest. But that's not what we're talking about here. But, we're, but what, you're, what you are going to be able to do is lay your head down at night knowing that you and God are on good terms. I love what Arthur Gordon says, uh, writing for a national periodical. Uh, Gordon says this about personal integrity. He writes, year after year, businessmen study college records, screen applicants, and offer special uh, enticement to proven people. What are they after, really? Brains? Energy? Know-how? These things are desirable, sure, but they will carry a person only so far. If he is to move or she is to move to the top and be entrusted with command decisions, there must be what he called a plus factor. 
Something that takes mere ability and doubles or triples its effectiveness. To describe this magic characteristic, there is only one word, integrity, unquote. So, so far, don't, don't fall asleep on me. We've seen where Joseph, uh, that uh, the Lord's presence has been near him. He has succeeded in everything that he has been entrusted to him. We've also looked at the great influence Joseph had with everyone he came in contact with. And here's the, here's the big one. One more point uh, that I want to look at. Joseph knew when to run from temptation. Now there is a song uh, that says you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run, right? That's not in the Bible. That's Kenny Rogers. (laughs) But we're going to talk about when you need to know when to run. Genesis 39, 7 and 9. Now the Bible, one of the reasons I love the scriptures, it, it tells everything. Right? In fact, it even tells you he's, he's a handsome fella. But it says that after these events, now let me just stop you there. You know when the devil's going to get you or when he's going to try to get you is when you are successful. It's not when you're low, because when you're down low, you're clinging to God, right? You know you need the Lord. Things are not going well. You're going to stay close to the Lord. You're going to pray. But it's when we are successful is where we're, we're really, we don't realize how close to the cliff we really are. So here's what it says, that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything. He has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? The temptation came while Joseph was successful. Okay? F.B. Meyer said this about the snare of temptation, and I'm quoting. He said, We may expect temptation in the days of prosperity and ease rather than in those of suffering and toil. Not on the glacier slopes of the Alps, not in the sunny plains, not when the youth is climbing the steep ladder of fame, but when he has entered the golden portals, Not where men frown, but where they smile, sweet, exquisite smiles of flattery. It is there that the temptress lies in wait. Beware, he says. Now, friends, I'm not just talking about men. Men and women, we are, you know, I don't have to give you a a course in biology, uh, but when it comes to this temptation, this sexual temptation, There's no verse in the Bible that says to fight it. Let me tell you why. You can't. The desire is too strong. So what the Bible says is to run. Remember, know when to walk away, know when to run. For men and women alike, it is in those times of spiritual success or or even... Uh, financial success, when it looks like everything, nothing could go wrong, Satan is not too far away. 
hoping that you fall. Remember Genesis 3? They are in paradise. They're in the Garden of Eden. Perfect place. In the, the first three words in that verse in the New American Standard says, Now the serpent. Satan was right there in that wonderful, beautiful Garden of Eden, just waiting for the right moment. And he says to you and I what he said to Eve. Did God really say? Joseph found temptation alongside of success. Um, we will find the same. He, Joseph was a human being. There's, there's nothing, uh, there are no supermen in the Bible except for one. And his name was Jesus, or is Jesus. Now I could mention a couple of famous Christians who have fallen, truly fallen. You could too. But when we look at Joseph... Joseph is one of the few in the scriptures that actually his name is really not tainted at all. Now, you can go where you will with the verse that says he was handsome in form and appearance. Uh, he, he was good looking, right, ladies? Potiphar's wife noticed it real fast. And so that's what Satan focuses on to bring Joseph down. Because you know what I think? I don't think this was about Joseph. I think Satan knew this was about Israel. And if he could take Joseph down, he was taking, the nation, he was taking God's people down. Because if Joseph loses uh, favor with Potiphar now, remember the story, he's not going to be able to save his people from famine. Friends, when, this, when Satan is trying to ensnare us, it's because he realizes, hey, this is one of God's people. He's going to do, she's going to do great things for God, so I have to stop this. this what, is, what do we read? What does Paul tell us? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Sexual temptation is the same thing. It may seem like it's flesh and blood. It's not. What we're looking at here is Satan using someone not just to bring Joseph down, but to bring the Jewish people down with him. That is why the temptation uh, for godly men and women is so strong sometimes in all areas because Satan realizes you have influence. And if he can take you down, if he can take a pastor down, he can take the church down with it. If he can take uh, a leader down, he'll take the organization down with it. And so that's why if you look in the New Testament, you would find that every time it mentions uh, sexual sin, it doesn't say resist. It doesn't say fight. It doesn't even say pray. It says flee. We don't have time to look at all of them, but I'll just share with you. Matthew 5, 28, Acts 15, 29, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. That's just a few. And when the Bible continually says the same thing over and over and over, it's kind of like exclamation points, right? It's saying, hey, you, you need to hear this. How was Joseph, a young, handsome man, 
able to refuse the temptation. Uh, because verse 10 gives us a little more insight. Uh, and before we get to how he refused, it says, She spoke to Joseph day after day. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Every, in other words, every chance she got, she tempted him. So back to the question, how was Joseph able to refuse and flee? How can we do this? Here's the key. Look at what Joseph says. Joseph keeps this great perspective of who he, if he were to do this, okay? Who is he sinning against? Look at what he says, verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? You know, um, that's really what, what this is all about. When we are tempted by anything, and we say, well, I don't want to let my family down, or I don't want to let the church down. Right? No, it's, it, that's really not, what any, it's not about any of that. It's really about how can I let God down? Because in, er in every temptation we face, the choice is really simply this. Uh, who do you love more? Do you love God? Or do you love whatever is tempting you more? And so Joseph has a great perspective in, in this situation. And he says, I can't do this against God. If you want to have godly influence on people, if you desire to have integrity and to be trusted, be faithful to God. If you want to be a person of influence, of integrity, of purity, be faithful to God. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, God is always faithful. He is always able to give us the strength. And when we are tempted, what does the Bible say? That God will provide a way of escape. Problem is, we don't look for the exit. In fact, sometimes we're okay with the temptation. But God, if we are, if we are faithful to Him, we already know He's going to be faithful to us. That's not the point. But if we are faithful to God, people are going to look at our lives, even now, and say, you know what? The Lord is with them. How are they able to always fill in the blank? Always be successful. Always, you know, how, how are they able to keep life from, from destroying them? How are they able to keep it all together, as we like to say? I don't know anybody that has it all together, but how are they able to rise above? And the answer is they're faithful to God. And God is faithful. You want blessing in your life? Do what the Bible says. Be obedient. It, it's, it's not about perfection. But it is about desiring to obey God, desiring to please Him. Somebody's been married 40 years, somebody's a pastor that was married 40 years said, people have actually came to him and said, You ever thought about, you know, leaving your wife? And he said, Well, why? I'm like, he, he would scratch his head and said, Well, I love her. But even more than that, this is where he would get people. It's not just that I love her. He said, I love God too much. And that's what keeps it all together. The life of Joseph is very interesting. And so when we look at him, God is giving us examples of how we can be successful in his eyes. And ultimately, it's about pleasing God. 
We're going to sing a chorus. I'm going to ask if Evangeline will go to the piano. We're going to sing, Silently Now I Wait for Thee. It's in this one. I got it marked. It's uh, 786. It's a familiar chorus to many of us, but it says, Silently now I wait for thee, ready, my God, thy will to see. Open mine eyes, illumine me, spirit divine. I think one of the most, one of my favorite things to sing about is probably the spirit of God because that's how we uh, interact with God. It's through his spirit, his spirit helping us uh, to know what to do, uh, to have discernment, to have wisdom. So we're going to sing this and I'd invite you to come and pray or, or just pray silently in your seat. But as we sing this, I, I pray that this, this prayer really would be your prayer, that God, you would allow God's Spirit to open not just your, not your physical eyes as much as your spiritual eyes to see Him and follow His lead. Let's sing together. Silent.